Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and it is a great joy to be here with you, to be able to continue to grow in relationship to God who loves us and desires relationship with us and relationship with one another so that we can be the church, the people that God has called to send us into the world to make a difference on behalf of Jesus Christ. If you're new here, I'm excited that you are with you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming uh, and being a part of this worship service to be able to celebrate what God is doing and, and how God is doing that in and through us and, and what we are called to do in the world around us. Uh, I'm excited that you're here because we have just recently started a brand new sermon series, worship series called Moral of the Story. We've been looking, we started last week looking at some of the parables, some of the stories that Jesus shared, some of the, uh, the deep meaning behind Behind those stories that is meant to move us, meant to change our direction, and meant to, uh, if we let it, to shape us and mold us more and more into Jesus' own image. And, and that's kind of what we're going to be looking at again today. We, we, we started by talking about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed last week. And, and this week, we're going to just continue with this concept. So uh, I wanted to start just by uh, sharing a little bit more uh, about myself. We, we seem to enjoy when I talk about how dumb I am. And, and so uh, we're going to jump right into that. Uh, I have noticed that the older I get, the more I misplace things. The more I set things down and forget, maybe, maybe misplaced is wrong. I forget place things. I put things down and I knew where I put them down when I put them down, but suddenly I can't remember where it was or where it is or what it is that I am even looking for uh, if I'm looking for a long time. If, I, if you see me wandering around the church, it's well known that I, I look for my coffee cup, which I set down somewhere uh, I forgot where I placed it, uh, but I, I knew where it was when I put it there. So if you're, if you're near me, a lot of times you'll hear me uh, say something like, I'm putting my coffee cup on the counter so that I will remember that I said that out loud or that you might remember that I said that. So you can share that with me if I walk by 10 minutes later going, have you seen my coffee cup? Um, it's, it's just one of those things. And it, the, the older I get, the worse it seems to get. Um, I, I, I lose things and, and then I, I, you know, I become single-minded. I have got to find whatever it is, uh, whatever I have misplaced, I'm going to stop and focus solely on finding that, uh, to the detriment of other things that I have going on or things that I have planned. Uh, sometimes it's because I can't find the things that I need in order to carry out the plans that I had for that day. I, uh, recently, I lost part of my key set. Uh, I couldn't find the keys that went to the church and to the building and, and got me into all the doors. I couldn't find my keys and also had the alarm set on it so I could turn on and off the church alarm. I, I couldn't find them anywhere. And I was like, okay, so obviously I had them because I got into church that day. So they've got to be somewhere in the house or somewhere at the church, or somewhere in my car. And so I started by tearing up my house, wandering around. I mean, I was opening up, pulling cushions off of couches. Maybe, maybe they fell off of my key ring while I was sitting down or whatever. And I, I, I went out to the car 
And I'm tearing the car apart, trying to find the keys, thinking, and, and my car is not super easy to, to see underneath the seats. And so I'm like w- blindly putting my hand underneath the, the car seat, trying to find these car keys. I come up to, or house keys, I come up to church because I still had my car keys, come up to church, and I, I, I'm, I'm wandering around. I, I share with uh, Jana, who is our office manager. I'm like, hey, Jana, I, have you seen my keys? Uh, I'm looking for them. I can't seem to find my keys, <laughs> and feeling, uh, you know, feeling pretty, pretty pathetic at that point in time because now, you know, people know that I have misplaced my keys, and so I'm wandering around the church, and sure enough, I can't, I can't find them anywhere. And I, I go back to Jana and I tell her, "Hey, I, I think I lost my keys. We might have to do that. I mean, let's not do it yet, but I'm, I might have to get a new set of keys because I, I don't know where mine were. And, and what really frustrated me is I signed my name when they gave me the keys for the trustee. So I, I gave them a piece of paper saying, I will care for these keys, and now I can't find them. So I head back home, uh, and I, you know, again, wander through several rooms muttering to myself, trying to figure out where I have have forgot placed my keys or misplaced or maybe just dropped and lost or whatever. And, and, and I, I just can't find them anywhere. And I get a notification on my phone from Facebook. Now, typically I don't do this, but at this point my brain is exasperated and I clicked on that notification and it was a notification from the neighborhood. And the neighborhood, somebody said, hey, yesterday while I was out, I found a set of keys by the mailbox. If you can describe them to me, I'll get them back to you. And I was like, oh, I, I know. I know whose keys these are. I was like, I went to the mailbox yesterday. That's the one place that I didn't think of. And I have to take my keys off to open my mailbox. And so that's probably where they fell out. So I sent her a message and I was like, well, hopefully she'll get back to me. And about 15 minutes later, there was a knock on my front door. And I was like, all right, my neighbor is bringing my keys to me because it was just a few houses down. And I opened the door and there stands the sheriff. And I was like, well, this is unexpected. Uh, And he says, I hear you've lost some keys. And I was like, are you part of our our Facebook group? What's happening here? Uh, And he said that the neighbor down the street knew that they were some kind of a business and, and didn't uh, didn't want them to be something that they were holding on to. So they had called them because it had been 24 hours. Nobody had said anything on Facebook and, and he had just picked them up. And apparently when I sent the message to them, uh, they had already handed those keys off to the sheriff. And so the sheriff had come back to my house to drop off the keys. And I was like, Hey, thank you so much. And I found myself then feeling like I needed to explain to him just how come I lost my keys. You know, well, I was at the mailbox, you know, and I used this thing that I hold all my keys on and it must've just fallen. And he didn't care one lick. He didn't care about this at all. He just wanted to give me my keys back so that I could get, get out of his hair so that he could go about his day. And I, I, I just remember the joy of having my keys. I was like, all right, I have them back. It was awkward. Yeah, it was weird, but I had my keys back. And, and the truth is this, that 
We have all searched for something that we have lost. It's a constant human trait. Well, okay, not really a trait because that's something inherent to us, but it's something we've all experienced. It's a common uh, experience for humans that we lose things and have to, have to go and search for them. Sometimes it's things that are valuable. Sometimes it's things that are not so valuable, but uh, it's something that we've all experienced. Even if we're little kids, we've experienced what it is to lose something. And, and so it's not unusual, and, and it's not, not something that's far-fetched, that Jesus would take something so common, something so normal, something that we all understand, and use that to portray a deep truth of the kingdom of God, a deep truth, a, a way that we can move and embrace and, and have our lives changed because of what we're learning about or the story that Jesus is sharing. And the story that we're going to be looking at today um, is the story of the lost sheep. Uh, and it comes from the gospel of Luke. And Luke's gospel, Luke was a, uh, a second generation follower of Christ. Uh, what that means is he wasn't one of the apostles, one of the 12 disciples that then became the apostles. Uh, 11 of them became the apostles, but he was one of their disciples that took down their information, and he took their stories and compiled them into two letters. Luke and the book of Acts are both written by the same guy. And, and so his story um, portrays the, the, this, this parable that Jesus tells, but he wants to set the stage before he jumps right into the parable. And so Luke says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, I, 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 want, us, I want us to understand this. First, um, sinners cause muttering in those who think they are righteous. Um, so what, what's going on here is the, the sinners and tax collectors have invited Jesus into uh, have a meal and to be present with them. And, and Jesus went. Jesus goes and is, is present with those that the community feel like are outside of community. They don't live by this, the right standards. They don't do the right things. They aren't living according to the law. And, and the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're the religious elite of the day. And so they're sitting in judgment, comparing themselves to these men and women who have not lived up to the expectations that they know that God has for each and every person, because God has given the law to the Jews, and, and these are the experts in the law, and, and they're standing in judgment of them and, the, and, and of Jesus, because Jesus chooses to go and eat a meal with these sinners and, and to, to share life and, and to engage them in any kind of conversation. The practice of the day was stand off, that if they were a sinner or if they were suspected of being a sinner or if they were a tax collector for sure, you didn't have anything to do with them because they were beneath you. They weren't righteous like you were trying to be righteous. They didn't care and carry themselves the way that you expected them to, and so that made them less. And the truth was this, the Jews had rules and regulations about what to do 
and what not to do. And if you were righteous, you did the right things. And if you were a sinner, you did the wrong things. And so labels were handed out in this community. And I I wanted to start with with helping us to get the picture of who is at this conversation because it's going to set the stage for our understanding of it. Because this should sound very familiar to you. This is what we do on a daily basis basis with all of those we interact with. We, uh, we, we, we resort to our own self-righteousness and we judge others based on how they look or how they smell or how they act or the things that they say that don't measure up to our minimum expectation of what it is to live righteously. And so this is going to be a message, the, 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 the parable that Jesus tells is not just for them, it's not just for the, the sinners at the time and the righteous, the, the self-righteous maybe that were sitting around, but it's also for us because far too frequently we err on the side of, well, we're better than that. Because we, we look at other people and we're like, well, at least we don't kick puppies. At least I don't cheat on my wife. At least I don't embezzle funds from the government. At least I don't do X, Y, or Z that makes me better than them. So obviously, I must be okay in that mindset. And, and that's, that's the trouble that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these religious elite had as well, is they thought themselves better than the people that were around. They didn't realize their need for God. And so, so Jesus tells them a parable. It says this, then Jesus told them this parable. He's trying to let them know, hey, I want you to hear this story. I'm going to use this story to move you in a new direction, whether you're one of the sinners or whether you're one of the religious elite, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying and maybe have it move and shift and change your direction. Catch the meaning that I am placing out there. And he says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep. And, and, and I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus didn't pull a lot of punches. When he saw people being mistreated, when he saw brokenness in community, especially the community that he had formed, he jumped all over it. And and this can, can be pretty tough for us to hear because when we sit there, we're like, wait a minute. If we're part of the church then we're part of the 99. And Jesus is saying he would just leave us in the open country. And so we're going to take a look at what what this is, because what is the moral of the story? What is it we're after to understand? What is Jesus trying to convey? And again, this is on multiple levels, just like all of Jesus' parables. And, and, And so the story is not just 
a story to the sinners saying, hey, you guys are going to be welcomed in if you just turn. And it's not just to the righteous saying, hey, you need to understand that God is after the, those that are far from him. It's to both of them. It's to both sets, to the righteous and to the sinners. Primarily, it's a message to those who think that they are righteous, those who are self-righteous. Because what, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is saying, hey, I want to right set your understanding about God and, and about what his mindset is. Jesus is sharing with them the disposition of God's heart towards sinners. That, that God is inclining his heart toward those that are lost. That, that those that are outside of relationship, those that are sinners and tax collectors and, and, and have done things to break the law are not, are not on the outside forever, that, that God is pursuing them to get them to come back into relationship. So the message is, is one of the, the idea behind God's heart, the disposition of God's heart. The, the, they may be morally corrupt, but they're still precious to God. And here's the deal, and this is something that we should all be able to see from the outside, but that one sheep that wandered off in this parable, that one sheep that is gone away, is lost and alone uh, and, and in danger, is also of the utmost concern for God. And that's because the sheep is in danger. It's, it's one of those, those things that we should be able to, to grasp very easily, that, that if one is out lost and alone, that they are the ones that are vulnerable. They are the ones that are most likely to be taken advantage of, to be hurt, and to be left broken on the shores of our reality. And, and God says, I don't want that for them. I want them to have the hope and the wholeness, the relationship, the community, all of the things that I have set in place in Israel. That's what I want for them. But I want more for them because I want them to be a part of this family. And so God, God is, is sharing with us through this parable that Jesus tells. He's saying, hey, I love you all. And, and I'm not, not okay with you not all being a part of the family. God isn't satisfied with some of his sheep. God isn't even satisfied with most of his sheep. God wants all of his sheep. God wants us all to be a part of that family and sent Jesus into the world to do that, to reveal that even to those that thought they were righteous and to those that thought they were unrighteous and unable to be returned to relationship. And so I, I love the, the way that that story resolves, that, that, that the shepherd finds the sheep and, and, and throws the sheep on his shoulders and, and walks back and immediately starts to call all his friends and family and, and those neighbors around, hey, rejoice with me. I found my sheep, that thing that was lost is now found. And, and we, we hear the, that there is more rejoicing in heaven because of one sinner that is returned than of 99 that are righteous that 
didn't need to repent. And I, I tell you, I get this. I really do because I remember when I, when I found my keys, when I, when I got that, uh, when the sheriff came and visited, I remember I came up to, I, I, I shared that news with everybody up here at church in the office. I was like, I found my keys. Uh, I had lost them. I dropped them. Somebody picked them up and got them back to me, but I, I have recovered them. And what was lost is now found. And I'm, I'm so excited. Be excited with me. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And, and a, a lot of times when we hear this and we have been in the church for years and years and years, uh, we're like, hey, wait a minute. Well, what about, what about the 99? And, and I want you to get this. Jesus isn't saying the 99 don't matter. The 99 are unimportant. Jesus isn't saying that at all. Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'm going to leave the 99 in the open field safe and secure, and I'm going to go after and pursue the one who is far away from me. And, and, and so when we hear this, a lot of times we can struggle with that, but Jesus is saying, no, you're all precious to me, and what I want is when I bring the one back, we're all able to rejoice together, that we're all able to be a part of this. Now, now we're going to jump in a little bit deeper into the moral of the story, because it pushes us a little bit further to say, hey, not only am I one of the 99, maybe if I've grown up in church, but I'm also able to act like the shepherd did. I'm able to go and share the news and to pursue those that are far from God the same way Jesus did. To pursue those that are far from God the same way that God's heart is inclined so that we can do the work that God has called us to. So I don't know if you're a one or if you're a 99, but I do know that God loves you and God desires to be in relationship with you. And, and if you're a one, if you are part of that one that is far from God, I, I know that you are number one on God's mind, that you are primary on his concern. He is single-mindedly pursuing you to woo you back into relationship. And if you're one of the 99, I know that God knows you and wants to rejoice with you at the return of one of those that are lost. And God wants you to be a part of returning those that are lost. Because then we can rejoice together at the growing of God's kingdom. There is a pastor uh, named Rick Warren. You may have heard of him. Uh, he's an author and a pastor. He uh, is the pastor out at Saddleback Church and uh, also uh, wrote The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. And all of the purpose driven ministries came from Rick Warren. And uh, Rick, in 1999, um, was trying to help his dad, who was uh, at home on hospice from, with cancer. Uh, and, and the cancer was just eating him up, and, and uh, he was unable to sleep, unable to be comfortable. The pain was overwhelming. And, and so Rick sits there with his dad on a daily basis. And one night, while Rick was asleep and his wife was in the room with his father, uh, Rick's dad uh, tries to get up, and muttering under his breath, he's saying over and over again, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. And, and Rick's wife tried to comfort him and, and, and tell him, hey, you can't get up. You, you don't have the strength. You don't have the energy. Lay back down and rest. And then she went and got Rick. 
And Rick, sitting with his father, his father took his hand and gripped it firm, and he said, son, you have got to save one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. And it was in that moment that Rick said, you know what, I'm going to let this be something that becomes a theme for my life, that I'm going to embrace the concept of save one more for Jesus, that I'm not going to be just one of the 99 satisfied in the open field, but instead I am going to pursue with everything I have that one that is lost. And I want us to hear that invitation as well, that we can make this be for us a theme for our life, that we can seek to save one more for Jesus. For the 99 were safe and secure, the, the shepherd went after the one, and we can go with the shepherd to seek out and pursue the one to, to help them to know that there is something better in life, that we can embrace the concept of we can save just one more for Jesus. So I pray that you will join me in this and that you will grasp the, the, the moral of this story and that you will let this parable move you to action, not to uh, make you see the world as unequal or, or only as that you are safe and secure, but that you can go and make a difference on behalf of Jesus because God is pursuing those that are far from him. And God longs to restore relationship with all of us so that we can celebrate together at winning just one more for Jesus. Let's pray. Holy One, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the hope and the promise that we have in you. And, and we recognize our deep need for you. And, and we struggle with our own self-righteousness. So Father, first, forgive us for that and put that away from us. As far as the east is from the west, you move our sin away from us. And so we ask that you start with our own self-understanding, that we need you and we long to be more like you. And then, Father, help us to be moved to action, to know that your heart is inclined to those that are far from you and that we can take action to restore relationship, to pursue, to love on folks that are far from you and to not, to not think ourselves more than we are but instead to recognize that we are part of your family and that those that are far from you are precious to you as well and that we can share your love and grace with all of those we come in contact with. Father, pour your spirit out upon us and help us to come to life in Jesus Christ and help us to know that even if we are the one, that we are so far from you, that you are right here with us and that you are calling us into relationship and, and longing for us to take a step toward you and to, to accept your love and hope and promise because you just want to throw us on your shoulders and carry us back to the rest of the family so that we can celebrate together and rejoice at the gift we have been given in Jesus Christ. So let our hearts be filled with joy. Let our lives be filled with promise and let us win just one more for Jesus. We pray this together in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of us agreed and said, amen.